Ifotes Podcast. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's uh, really a privilege to be here with you, and thank you for inviting me. And that's especially thank you for volunteering for such a very hard topic. You think that caring for carers is not your problem, but I tell you that yes, this is your problem. This is for any and every people working in the community in services. No matter it's a social care, a health care, or even a voluntary care for patients, for people. So what I will talking about, this is a short overview for you. This is some history about the definition, symptoms, signs, some development, how the burnout is developed, what factors and causes arise in here, and what consequences we have evidenced by the science, and what to do in the end. So, there is a semi-official phenomenon from 1974. And believe it or not, the man who described this kind of symptoms and the first definition of burnout worked with volunteers for drug-addict people. That means the original definition of burnout arises from a voluntary organization. So think about it if you think that Helplines are not affected by burnout. So this is a physical and mental collapse, let's say, caused by overwork or stress. But now we have an official phenomenon by WHO, and WHO um, definition is always very medical. So you don't have, have to remember this in the future. You just remember that there is a chronic workplace stress which is an evidently occurs in the helplines, and also that it's always an occupational context in burnout, not other type of burnout. Uh, let's have a, a little slide here. So if you're a mother of the terrible twos or the teenagers, probably you will feel burnout, but by definition, this is not burnout. So what are the dimensions of the diagnosis? There are three. There is an allergy depletion and some exhaustion. We feel that. I can't move. I can't think. I do not want to go to work. Some mental distance, negativism. When a nurse treats you in the hospital as, as if you were an object, not a subject, think about maybe she's burned out and there is an apathy here. And also the... Uh, the occupational efficiency is reduced in this kind of direction. So this is a joke about a nurse who is interviewed by a policeman and saying, oh, no, 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 I'm not a victim, I'm a nurse. So that's how we look after a tough workplace. So what are the signs? You feel tired, you feel drained, you have illnesses, and you have sleeping disorders, headaches, stomachache, musculoskeletal pains. Let's go back for a minute for the immune system, okay? Because we have evidences here. There is such a sign as a psych immunology. I'm a microbiologist and a psychotherapist, so it's, it's very nice to gather the two together to think about it. If there is a stress reaction, we want to fight or flight or freeze. Every time when there is a stress reaction and your immune system will react to that. 
we want ourselves who capable killing the enemies, let's say, bacteria, viruses, on your skin, out to the periphery and be there to fight. But there is no enemy here and they will die out. So that's a problem. The immune system reacts again, again and again and the stress just depletes the reaction time and the reacting bodies of the immune system. So what the emotional sides? I will feel self-doubt. Can I help him or help her? I talked to her for an hour and what happened? Did it mean anything for the patient, anything for the client? Who am I in this system? And some detachment. I want to detach from the stress. I want to detach myself from the pain. I feel lonely. I lack motivation. And I start to be critical for my workplace, for my colleagues, for my patients, and everything and anything. And I do not feel satisfied. I'm not happy, to be short. What are the behavioral signs? I withdraw my, from my uh, responsibilities. I'm isolating myself for the others. Procrastinating. So I will do it. I will do it tomorrow, after tomorrow, after tomorrow. And just waiting there. And also using drug, alcohol, food, whatever, just make myself happy. It won't happening, of course. And I take the frustration to others. For example, for callers. Sometimes it happens even in our organizations. And I'm skipping for work. I'm not a good worker anymore. But let's see what are the stages. We have the honeymoon. When, I, when we start to work on a voluntary basis, it's wonderful. I am someone, I am helping. But then there is a reality just steps in. And we have to face the reality. And we have to find the balance. I am not God. Jesus is dead. I can't help him or her. I just want to listen to him. I can, can be professional, but I'm not a healer. I'm not a charlatan. I am not a healer again. So I have to accept that sometimes there is a failure. And then I will have a chronic symptoms, and then I will have a crisis. And the end is the apathy. Please be aware of the stages. Just listen to your heart and just realize that what stage are you in and do something about that. What are the causes? There are primary, secondary, and tertiary factors. The most important thing that the primary factors are related to the work. If you work in a helpline, in healthcare, in social care, you will be frustrated. No way to go out from that. The question is how you cope with that and the secondary and tertiary factors, how you cope with that. Do you have any coping mechanism or not? And uh, I think it's clear that all the factors, if all the factors are negative, that is very harmful. So what are the primary jobs, uh, primary factors here? These are the jab factors, let's say. Physical stressors, for example, noise. For example, that you have to work in a place which is dark and you're alone and you have only the phone and it's night and you hear the noises of the night.
for some people, it's very dangerous, feels very dangerous. Some of our colleagues just don't go to night shifts. So it's a physical factor. You have to think about it. And the other is there are high, high work demands. You have to be precise. You have to sustain your attention for hours all through the night. If you have harassers on the phone, after you take down the phone, you have to put it up again and be nice. Because you do not know if the harasser calls you back or someone really reach out the hand for you to help to prevent his or her suicide. There is always a task in completeness. You never know what you did. Did you help or not? It's very, you feel the incompleteness and you have to deal with that. There's a poor feedback for helplines, let's say. Only a few times someone calls and says, okay, I thank you. It's, it's very rare, it's very precious, but it's very rare. There is a role conflict down the road. You have to go to work, but you have children, you have family, you have your ailing mother, you have your ailing friends, and you have to decide where to go, what to do, what energy to spare, and to what. You have a time pressure always. You have a forced rhythm, irregular working hours that are great stress. We, we know that night shifts are dangerous. Night shifts are the risk for suicide in evidence-based medicine. And also the blood working day. What are the primary factors? What the, second, uh, the tool factors? The administration. I just hate it. I definitely hate it. To write down what I've done. But I have to, I understand my obligation for the patient, for the authorities, for the organization. Just simply hate it. This is not why you choose to be a volunteer, to write down what you did. But you have to. And also the social factors. There are discriminations for us. There are harassment and bullying in the environment, even in the voluntary organizations. They are rare, but still occur there. But in healthcare, the harassment, especially sexual harassment against the women, are very common, frighteningly common. And also the organizational factors. How flexible the organization, how they can switch if I have personal problems, how uh, can I move from time to time, from task to task? How to go, the transportation, uh, where to go for a workplace, for example. Many times the basis for the helplines are outside of the city. Not very nice district. And it looks dangerous for people getting there. And also how I can collaborate with all the others. Uh, and let's say some management factors. Let the chain, the line manager, let's say, the line manager is very important. If you have a good line manager, you are really want to work for him or her. But there are some toxic line managers who make a lot of people to leave from a voluntary or an involuntary organization as well. And the organizational changes, I will come back to it. 
uh, and how to balance the work, the family, and all the other obligations which we have. In my age, let's say, this is the middle age, I am young, let's say, and who is younger than me is very young, but anyway, I'm the middle-aged woman. We have the children, not ready yet, and we have the parents who are elderly and isolated and alone and sometimes with a lot of illnesses, so we have to balance all these kind of things and still work professionally. And also, we have a lack of facilities to help us. Lack of social care, lack of health care, and lack of all the other uh, things that support us to go on. I have to say to you, it is very important to me to stick this for your mind, that organization changes are very dangerous. People think that if you reorganize an organization, it's great. It's not. The evidence that this is not. It threatens the morality, the dignity, it, it reduces the psychological safety, and the survivors who stay in the organizations will be cynic, because they saw what they saw, so they are not interested anymore in the morality and empathy for the organizations. And if you manage, manager, uh, manage it poorly, also, it's a threat. It is a latent threat. So before you start to reorganize, think, please, and go for the evidences. Let's talk about the secondary factors. You have to have some control on your work. It helps you. You have to have some support. If you have teammates, if you have colleagues, you will go on beautifully. You have to have time and facilities and money to recover. Go for holiday, go for conferences, meet, meet, meet colleagues, meet with other people, go for different paces. Just have a huge breath and survive. Then absenteeism, you have to be away for your workplace for a nice time. Tertiary factors also uh, that you if you have a workplace democracy, it helps. It really helps. Democracy is not the laissez-faire. I don't know the English name for it. It's French, I know. So this, that let things just go where they are go. It's not democracy. It's not liberation. It's democracy is when there are rules, but you have a control on the rules on your part. The presentism, I uh, just want to underline, it's a new phenomenon in psychology. It means that you in the workplace and you pretend to work, but you're just there. And you're there because they pay you if you do not go to sick list, if you do not go away, just stay there. So presentism is just dangerous for the individual and for the organization also. What are the consequences? I don't want to go through this where in very details. You can see on the slides where these data come from, so I do not want to repeat it for you. But the main message here that there are evidences that they are physically dangerous for the workers. They've got illnesses. And may I go back what I, when I mentioned the immune system's role? The immune system is closely related to our brain. Just a few years ago, we realized that we have lymph, lymph uh, nodes, not nodes, but close to that, so the lymph is closely related into the brain. 
between the skull and between the brain, we have the lymphs flowing all around. And we have receptors in the brain directly connected to immune system and vice versa, which means that the brain and the immune system are very, very closely related. When we are burned out, the immune system is just going down, going down, and the immune system is closely related with all the diseases, from cancer to cardiovascular diseases, muscular skeletal diseases, everything. So you have to be very careful. If you want to be healthy, you have to be careful with your burnout symptoms. So these are the physical ones. These are evidences, let's say. Even the hypercholesterinemia, closely related. It's very interesting and it's very dangerous also. See that, prolonged fatigue, headaches. If you feel something about that, think and cope. And also the psychological consequences are very, very important. Let's check a little bit with insomnia. Insomnia is a predictive factor of suicide. If my patient with depression has insomnia, it's a lot of times dangerous situation for me, so I have to be very much aware. In the US, once upon a time, I do not know the, not nowadays, but once upon a time, there was a torturing terrorist with insomnia. So this is a kind of torture if you can't sleep. And your brain will react it just like for, a a for the torturing. So the pro professional ones, you don't, just don't want to work there. You just don't want to go in there. You just don't want to do anything with, with this kind of uh, organization, but you're present if, you, if they want you there, but do not work. So some, some examples for the healthcare. It's, um, it's a pretty complicated in a way, but I, uh, the main message here, that if you measure the symptoms of burnout in the physicians, and you measure how much mistakes they make, and how the patients are satisfied with their work, you will find a very close relation. A very, very close relations. The American hospitals uh, are very interested in malpractice suits. That's why it's important for them, the burnout. It costs money, it costs profit. So they cleanly uh, start to measure this and find this uh, very impressive and uh, let's say very frightening numbers. So this is how the nurse is working. Because of the shortage, sometimes the patient lack of the attention and awareness. So what to do? First of all, after all this, you have the information, please recognize if you have any symptoms of burnout. After that, reverse, undo the damage, change the factors, manage the stress, and seek support if you have to. The resilience is the key to happiness. The resilience that come what may, come hell or high water, I will be happy. This is my life, and I will live my life until I death. This is the Maslow hierarchy. Uh, it's a very important thing. 
I'm more or less an unconventional psychotherapist because when people come to the office and start to think and speak about their psychological strains, I usually ask what you eat, how much water you drink, what's your exercise on daily basis, how you sleep. Because if it's okay, we can move on. If it's not okay, you have to change it. So if you work in a stressful environment, if you are a candidate for burnout, you have to be aware of your body. You have to exercise, you have to eat healthy, drink healthy, and sleep enough. Which means a huge challenge nowadays in the digital, and, in digital environment. So what to do? The first is good news for you, give. If you volunteer to something, it can help. Uh, if you volunteer, uh, no matter where, no matter what, if you give, it can help you improve your own mental health. And also, reframe your perspective. Realize what you can do and what you cannot do. Uh, there is a little rhyme in Mother Goose Rhymes, which is the basis of the cognitive stoic philosophy, which my therapy is based on. It is, for every evil under the sun, there is a remedy or there is none. If there is one, go and find it. If there is none, never mind it. It's short and it's impressive. I found it just a few years ago. This is a Stoic philosophy written in the ancient Greek books, but much better, sounds better. So you have to set boundaries, what I capable to do and what I do not want to do. You have to have relaxation time. You have to get plenty of sleep. It's very important. Once upon a time, you have to stay at home and pretend that you're ill. Lay all day in your pajamas and just do nothing without the symptoms of an illness. You will feel the reimbursement of your energies. And exercise. You don't say to me that you don't have time. This is an excuse. You have time for exercise. For example, inmate training. It's very simple. You can do it in a prison, so you can do it in your room. It's not a big deal. You have your time, you just have to have the energy. And also the healthy diet is very important. Slim people always eat breakfast, for example. So you have to start your day with a breakfast. It's a very simple thing, but one of the generals of the US Army, a former sail, said that if you want to change the world, make your bed in the morning. So the first duty you have to do, and then you can go on. And the others reach out. Reach out for others. Reach out for help. Connect with the community. Connect with your place you live. And find new friends. Digital era can help you. Join such kind of groups you're interested in, who work out to nature, who going to some places in the world and go together with them. So it, it may help you. There are some results, evidences again. Uh, I made it bold that you can see in, even in the 80s, there were evidences that if you manage the stress, 
the profit will go up because the lawsuit will go down, because the patients will be satisfied if the personnel looks good, didn't burn out. And also, I really think that mindfulness is important, and I have to just underline what the message was in the first presentation, the plenary section, that you have to find your way to be mindful. So to end my presentation, this is the last slide. This is a simply life advice. Are you happy? Ask yourself here. Who is say yes? Wonderful. Who say no? Okay, so look at that. Change. And if you changed, ask yourself again, I am happy. If you say yes, that's okay. If you know, then change again. And change and change and change and change until you feel resilient, until you feel happy. Thank you for your attention. <laughs>